Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to hear your word and obey your will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please join me in the reading of the Old Testament scripture, Psalm 23, as printed in your bulletin. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Greetings to you all on this fourth Sunday of Easter. And first and foremost, happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers. I must say that um, Mother's Day holds a special place in my heart, certainly for the obvious reason of my mother, Charlotte Sidnor, uh, who has made such an impact in my life, but also because of all the people who have mothered me throughout my years, my mother-in-law, my grandparents, my grandmothers, my great-grandmothers, but also my daughter and my daughter-in-law who are also mothers and extended family and friends who have shaped who I am today. So I certainly want to say a hearty, happy Mother's Day to those who are present, as well as those who have passed on the glory, for mothers are nothing short of God's gift to us and to the world. The sermon text comes from the gospel reading of John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. Listen for the word of the Lord. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
Oh God, open our hearts and minds that by the power of your spirit and as your word is proclaimed, we may hear what you are saying to us today. Now let the words of your servant's mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, through Christ. Amen. The sermon title this morning is, We Are Secure in the Hands of Christ. Whenever there was uh, traditional feast days uh, in Jerusalem, John seems to tell us about the encounters between Jesus and the Jews. This is true for the Passover. This is true for the Feast of Tabernacles. But what about the Feast of the Dedication? Where is that in the Hebrew text? It is nowhere to be found. For it is an intertestamental festival that celebrates the victory of the Maccabees over the Seleucids in the second century. In 167 BC, Syrian Antiochus Epiphanes overran Jerusalem and polluted the temple, setting up a pagan altar to displace the altar of Israel's God. It wasn't until three years later, in 164 BC, when Judas Maccabeus would replace the pagan altar and the temple purified and rededicated. This festival is celebrated on 25 Kislev, which coincides with December. It is also known as the Feast of Lights because it is an eight-night celebration where the lighting of lamps and candles and rejoicing took place in Jewish homes. This festival is a powerful celebration. As one Jewish historian wrote, the festival of the dedication was the right to worship and dare to hope for it. We know it today as Hanukkah, which means dedication. John's gospel at the end of verse 22 says it was winter. Mentioning the season was done not only as a chronological marker for the festival was during the winter, but also to set the atmosphere's frozen spirit. The text also uses the phrase, the Jews, which can seem on the surface to indict all Jews, but this is not the case. The phrase, the Jews, refers to those Jews opposing Jesus with their wintry spirits who surrounded Jesus, pressing him on all sides for an answer that no matter what he said would not warm their hearts for them to accept him or worship him. They get straight to the point in verse 24. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. In other words, Jesus, give it to us straight. Be bold and remove any confusion about who you are. Are you the Messiah? A movie called A Few Good Men that many of you might uh, remember has a scene where a young Navy lawyer, Lieutenant Kathy, played by Tom Cruise, wanted an answer from Colonel Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson, about who ordered the Red Code. 
The red code ended in the death of a young Navy man. In a heated courtroom cross-examination, the judge said, you don't have to answer that question. Colonel Jessup said, I'll answer the question. You want answers? Lieutenant Caffey replied, I think I'm entitled to them. Colonel Jessup said, you want answers? Lieutenant Caffey screams back, I want the truth. Immediately followed by Colonel Jessup yelling back, you can't handle the truth. The Jews pressing Jesus to make it plain could not handle the truth before their very eyes. I imagine the Jews who opposed Jesus walking through the temple thought about the Maccabean revolt where they had been coerced to worship false idols and burn sacrifices to the temple pagan gods, blaspheming their God. We probably cannot even imagine the force and hostility behind their demanding a response to their interrogation. Who are you, Jesus? Jesus did not oblige them and answer them in verse 25, saying, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. In private, Jesus was prepared to disclose himself as the Messiah. In John 4 and 26, a Samaritan woman at the well said, I know the Messiah is coming. With Jesus responding, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Martha confesses that Jesus is the Messiah in John eleven twenty seven, And in Matthew 16, verses 16 to 20, Peter declares Jesus as the Messiah. Also in Mark and Luke. But in none of those instances does Jesus endorse his identity. In fairness... The Jews during Jesus' public discourse with them did not make explicit or declare himself to be the Messiah. Jesus understood that the term Messiah or its Greek equivalent, Christ, had too many political and military connotations in first century Palestine. And Jesus was always careful to avoid misinformation. However, the words and works of Jesus spoke for themselves. Others could do miracles, but Jesus, through the Father's name, will, and power, restored a man who was paralyzed for 38 years, John 5 and 5, healed a man born blind, Luke 9, verses 6 to 7, and resurrected a man who was undoubtedly dead. John 11, verses 38 to 44. These acts combined with his use of titles, self-references, use of the Old Testament, and his discussion of how he related himself to God, Jesus pointed himself out to be the Messiah. He described himself early in the verses of chapter 10 as the Good Shepherd, who is called the shepherd in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Connecting himself to who they would recognize as God. 
How much more plain could it get if they were casually attentive? Jesus gives us the answer for their unbelief. He says in verse 26, You do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. We are Christ's sheep, not because we choose him, but because Jesus chooses us through the Father. There are divine consequences of Jesus knowing his sheep and us having ears to hear his voice. He not only gives us abundant life in verse 10, but salvation in verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. The metaphor of eternal life is powerful, and in the Gospel of John is expressed in the figure of the bread of life, living water, and the light of the world. But Jesus lets the Jews surrounding him know that the power of eternal life itself is not his focus. It is the power in his hand. The ability to hold and keep us that not even the thieves and robbers in verse 1 and 8 or the wolves in verse 12 can steal us away from the mighty hand of Jesus. Verse 28b says, No one will snatch them out of my hand. There is no better security than being in the hand of Jesus. Jesus qualifies and reinforces the strength of his hand by the Father standing behind the preservation of Jesus' sheep. Jesus said, what my Father has given to me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Who can rob God? Who has the strength? Who has the power? No one. Brothers and sisters, as sure as God was in the temple for the Jews, God is present in and through Jesus Christ. When we belong to Jesus Christ, we will hear his voice, follow him, and know that we have the strength in God's hand to protect and keep us, even during cold and dry seasons. I heard a woman giving some advice to a young man who told her all the people he knew and the contacts he had that would help propel his career. Her advice to him was sound, simple, and biblical. She said, it is not who you know, it is who knows you. The predestinarian would point these Jews to the understanding that it is Jesus through the Father who draws all men without distinction, not just Jews to believe in him, but all who believe in him. After having restored a blind man's sight who had not sinned nor his parents, in chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus speaks to spiritual blindness. Those who see versus those who do not. 
He later speaks of the sheep who hear and follow his voice as opposed to the sheep who do not attend to the shepherd's voice. In John 6 and 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. Yet, Jew or Gentile, you or me, Jesus gives us no excuse for our disbelief. For in John 5 and 40, Jesus says, Yet, you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus meets us right where we are that we might believe. The text gives the time and place as the context for how Jesus encounters us in our life's stories. Jesus encountered the Jews in December at the temple in Hanukkah, during Hanukkah. The text does not leave the location in the temple ambiguous and adds it was in the portico of Solomon. Every Jew knew that it was on the eastern side of the temple. It was in a time and a location that Jesus encountered the Jews demanding for him to make plain where Christ challenged them to recall Christ's words and works in their hearts. Can you remember an encounter with the risen Lord where you wanted him to make it plain for you that his power would transform your life? Was it during worship? Was it on the job? Was it the result of a crisis in your life where you wanted to be sure of who Jesus is before you called on the name of the Lord? Jesus, are you the Messiah? We must recall the words of scripture, sermons, Christian songs, and miracles in our lives and others so that we might come to believe Christ when he says, I have told you. We must be imaginative in discerning the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives and the world around us. Look for the little things, like words of encouragement from others, acts of kindness, or a friendly smile that reminds us that God's hand still leads his flock. We must not buy into the worldview that everything around us is bad news with no joy in sight. Look and pray that we might hear Christ's voice and that we might follow and bear witness to the signs of God's greatness and Christ's presence in the mundaneness of our lives, knowing that Christ won't let us go. God's hand is divinely mighty. A story is told about a young boy who went to a local store with his, mo with his mother. The shop owner was a very nice man, passed out a large jar so that the young man could reach his hand in and grab a handful of candy. But uncharacteristically, the, the boy held back. So the shop owner grabbed a handful of candy and gave it to the boy. When outside, the boy's mother asked why he suddenly had become so shy and wouldn't take the handful of candy that was offered to him. 
The boy replied, because his hand is much bigger than mine. We must know that the hand of Christ is big enough to hold us. We hear about the big hand of government or some agencies who, over, who engage in political overreaching. To overreach is to go beyond one's authority, which is a part of our nature separate from Christ. Today, many look to the military for their power and might to impose their strength for good and for evil around the world or to seek personal power to get the upper hand in some venture. God's hand keeps our souls, removes our suspense and anxieties, and gives us belief. As his sheep, we hear his voice. We are assured amid others who might try to steal our joy and when the enemy seems overpowering. Followers of Jesus are encouraged by a prayer life that believes that Christ's hand is shaping their story and faith in salvation history. The protecting hand of Jesus mends us and saves us in our brokenness unto himself. He healed the blind man in John 9, raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11, and gives us those things and more, including the liberation from sin and eternal life. The power of Jesus shatters all expectations of human strength and comes to us as the good shepherd, leading and guiding us. When we are blinded by God's grace, he leads us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. There's no need to fear following Jesus because he keeps us faithfully in his hand that is greater than all. A hand that is not only mighty, but merciful and calls us to trust him. Whenever we follow Christ, we have no greater hope. Those who may question who Christ is or consider themselves to be more spiritual than religious can be reassured that Jesus and the Father do the same work, united and indistinguishable. John 1 and 1 to 2 and 14 remind us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. If Jesus had not previously spoken plainly, he speaks plainly to us today. The effects of who Christ is for us individually and as a corporate body is powerful. We can walk with and usher others as the body of Christ with the hope that God is working to bring the doubter, the persecutor, those sitting on the fence, and those standing on the sidelines of God's glory 
to the revelation of the one who came to rescue us. As believers, we must proclaim the gospel's saving work in our midst, letting the Spirit of God bring the unity it wills. St. Augustine in the City of God wrote, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are always too full to receive them. We are holding on to too much fear and to too much worry instead of the promises of God. We ought to be faithful in using our hands so that others might see and experience the grace that secures us in the hand of Christ, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit share in the eschatological power over life, death, and judgment. What greater hope is there than to believe in Christ? Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus meets us in a time and place through the Holy Spirit to reveal his identity to each one of us. Submit yourself into the hand of God. Listen for Christ's voice and follow him. He warms and comforts our spirits in the cold and dry seasons of life and shines his light in dim hearts. Trust God to follow in the good times and the bad times, securing your peace, purpose, and place in God's kingdom through the eternal salvation he has prepared for us. Be comforted knowing that we serve a mighty God and that no one can snatch us from the secure hands of Jesus that hold us by his grace and covers us with his mercy. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. God abounds in love and mercy and welcomes our return. For in Christ, God came to us that we might have abundant life. This is the invitation to discipleship. Will you come? Will you come? Amen.